Dear Elizabeth, are we Dear Elizabeth, about two miles out in the rocky Dear Elizabeth, Dear Elizabeth, Dear Elizabeth. Colorado. Friday, August 16th. Dear Elizabeth, we have been seeing so much and looking so hard that we are really getting tired of looking. We will probably cut out a few days and get to Moline, Illinois on Saturday, August 24th, instead of on Monday, then home a couple of days ahead of schedule. That is, on Wednesday instead of Friday, We'll write to you when we get to Moline. Dr. Lucy Brown's letter to Elizabeth Brockschleiger was written on plain, unlined paper in an even flowing cursive. She used a blue pen. It was eight days until her elder sister, Dr. Annette Brown, would turn 80 years old. The two had been on the road and away from their beloved homestead in the Mount Washington neighborhood of Cincinnati for less than a month. Not a long journey by Lucy's pre-university professor retirement standards, but the August heat and crowds of tourists, in addition to the hair-raising twists and turns of Highway 500, also known as Colorado's Million Dollar Highway, had taken a toll. The pioneering sister scientists were at the tail end of their last great road trip together and they couldn't do much more than look at the nature of the West they had hoped to experience up close. And looking wasn't ever good enough for the women whose scientific fieldwork made them famous around the world. Welcome to the fourth and final episode of Dear Elizabeth, a serial podcast about the Cincinnati-born and bred researchers. It is told through the letters to their friend and fellow scientist, Elizabeth Brockschleiger, who left them, along with the rest of her notes, scrapbooks, photographs, and letters, to the Lloyd Library and Museum. I'm Elissa Yancey, and I've been researching the Browns for years, and not just because of their individual accomplishments in botany and entomology, which are tremendous, and also not just because we grew up in the same city, though I find the fact that they aren't more celebrated in Cincinnati downright shameful. No, I've spent years tracking down pieces of their stories and books and archives around the country because I'm continually fascinated by their long lifetimes of extraordinary adventures. The never-married sisters were born in the late 1800s and traveled more than 60,000 miles over decades of research, they navigated the hills of Appalachia during Prohibition, earning the trust of locals who helped them avoid run-ins with moonshiners as they sought out native species and mapped ecosystems before the lumber industry could destroy them. As Lucy mounted thousands of field samples of plants onto herbarium pages with a thoroughness and style that aficionados can instantly recognize, Annette dissected and drew cross-sections of tens of thousands of microscopic moths many of which she collected on her journeys with her sister. While Lucy wrote books and articles, lectured publicly, and taught at the University of Cincinnati for decades, Annette immersed herself in her research, collaborating with scientists around the world in pursuit of deeper understanding of the tiniest of insects in forests and fields. Along the way, 
they found themselves in a race against time, pleading the case for conserving old-growth forests and distinctive geological confluences as developers and extractive industries reached farther into America's wilderness. I think of them when I visit the edge of Appalachia in southeastern Ohio, a nature preserve that now includes more than 20,000 acres rich with biodiversity of species and distinctive ecosystems. It's a place where prairies nestle up against forests, and keen observers like the Browns could locate the farthest western appearance of eastern species, the farthest northern appearance of southern species, the farthest eastern appearance of western species, and you guessed it, the farthest southern appearance of northern species. But I also think of them when I think of Pine Mountain, Kentucky, located in my ancestral home county, Letcher County, where the sisters, guided by advice from frontier nurses, navigated steep hillsides and avoided armed moonshiners in search of specific trees and plants that Lucy mapped in her classic 1950s guide to deciduous forests in the eastern United States. Their final trip to the West culminated their lifetime of symbiotic travel as the world around them was changing rapidly. Colorado is nestled in a valley known as the Switzerland of the U.S. It's surrounded by mountains on three and a half sides. The former mining town had turned into a tourist destination, thanks to the majestic surroundings and a historically preserved Main Street. If you've seen the classic John Wayne movie True Grit, you've likely glimpsed Ore. Scenes of the award-winning film were shot there just a few years after the Browns' 1963 visit. The sisters were used to traveling hundreds of miles by car and taking hikes that filled long mornings or afternoons. But it was mid-August, and it was hot, and it was uncomfortable for the sisters. Lucy, who was 75, was always driving because her older sister Annette had never gotten a driver's license. By this point in the trip, she had had just about enough of life behind the wheel. Despite the natural beauty of the Rocky Mountains, hear how she explains it to Elizabeth. We enjoyed Mesa Verde and would have enjoyed it even more if it had not been so blazing hot. I actually scorched the palm of my hands on the steering wheel after the car had been parked three hours in the sun. Today, we drove from Durango to here today, only 75 miles. Over two passes, lots of flowers along the road, a couple of showers, hundreds of switchbacks saw and tried to photograph a meadow blue with big gentians and with the gentians were spiranthes and grass of parnassus the sun blazed and the temperatures climbed to just over 90 degrees that year in that part of colorado according to the farmer's almanac mesa verde national park which was established way back in 1906 preserves nearly 5,000 archaeological sites and 600 cliff dwellings of the ancestral Pueblo people who lived in the area for more than 700 years. The sprawling cliff dwellings range from one-room storage units to communities of hundreds of rooms. Most visitors focus on the well-preserved archaeological ruins, but the sisters were likely more focused on the rare plant species that could be found there. 
This included small evergreens like the mountain lover, with leaves that cliff dwellers smoked in pipes for special ceremonies, and the yucca, with fibers used for rope and soap. Lucy and Annette might have even glimpsed the yucca in a rare cycle of blooms because of the time of year at their visit. I wonder if the sisters knew that the route they were traveling from Durango to Ore is known as the Million Dollar Highway. There are several theories about how that name came about. Some say the canyon-clinging stretch of road that connects Durango to Ore earned its name because of the cost to build it, the gold ore that filled it, or the value of the spectacular views of the San Juan Mountains along it. Reviews of driving the stretch of roadway to this day include words like harrowing, exciting, fabulous, and challenging. With much of the steep drop-offs left guardrail-free, it's no wonder Lucy mentions what surely felt like hundreds of switchbacks. Since she was the primary photographer, as well as the only driver, it's likely her dreams of photographing rare canyon species went largely unrealized. Both sisters likely swooned over the Speranthes. Now a threatened species, this perennial orchid with delicate white blooms typically peaks between July and September. There was also the grass of Parnassus, a rare sight with almost leafless stalks and bright white flowers, each with five fringed petals. But a treacherous and scenic drive was not all the sisters had planned for the day. Lucy ends her letter with a hint of not only the crowds of tourists they continued to battle throughout this trip through the Rockies, but also their connection to the other more research-minded travelers. Got our motel here about 2 p.m. It was full by 3. Then lunch, and later walk to the Box Canyon. Now we are going up the street to a showing of slides. I mailed another roll of film at Durango yesterday. Must stop to see pictures. Love, Lucy. After the scenic, nail-biting drive from Durango, the sisters wouldn't have to walk far to visit the town's Box Canyon, where a dramatic waterfall remains a popular tourist stop. After dinner, they put aside their typical travel routine of writing letters and sorting samples to watch what Lucy calls, quote, a showing of slides, unquote. To be clear, this was no family vacation photo slideshow. For botanists and other field scientists of the day, slideshows were important opportunities to share and compare samples and findings, as well as learn from their peers. In the days before sections of libraries and bookstores were filled with field guides and easy-to-access references, slideshows were important educational and social events. In fact, Lucy and Annette often presented slideshows for the Wildflower Preservation Society, which Lucy helped found, to share their travels and appreciation of nature with public audiences. They also hosted slideshows at Brownwood, providing quite the evening of entertainment to their close friends. After dinner, the sisters and guests would adjourn to their living room, where slides of Lucy's photos gave light and life to their passionate campaigns for natural conservation. Saturday evening, August 17, 1963. Dear Elizabeth, the pictures were marvelous, all views of the San Juan Mountains. One and a half hours and the talk that went with them was good. Today, another day of looking and looking. We got a motel just outside of Montrose, about 50 miles from Oray, 
and left for the Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Monument. Spent the rest of the morning and most of the afternoon there. Scenery extraordinary, but pretty cloudy. Then rain. We are certainly glad we drove from Durango to Oray yesterday. Today, the same mountains were hidden in black clouds, with deluges of rain, probably. Well, we will soon be on our way home and glad to see Brownwood again. Love, Annette. When the sisters chose to explore the southern range of the Rockies, the San Juan Mountains, they got to not only see the Continental Divide, but also mountains formed by volcanoes rising up alongside sparkling lakes, waterfalls, and streams. The abundant minerals in this stretch of mountains resulted in not only a wealth of mining towns that were being reimagined by residents in real time in the 1960s, but also in vividly colored rocks, a treat for Lucy's inner geologist. The National Park Service calls the steep, dramatic cliffs of Black Canyon of the Gunnison a, quote, vertical wilderness, unquote. I hope the sisters got a chance to stop at the overlook at Painted Wall, which reveals an eye-popping and narrow slit in the canyon with nearly two billion-year-old rock that's streaked horizontally with different colors, blacks and pinks streaking from bottom to top. The narrow canyon reaches down a distance deeper than the Empire State Building is tall. After another day of driving and looking at Colorado's beautiful vistas through bouts of rain, Annette sounds tired. Her letter is clear, but brief, and she, like her sister, is ready to be home. The fact that they use the same words, quote, looking and looking, unquote, to describe their time really drives home their shared frustration. Luckily, Brownwood, home sweet home, is just a few days and one more letter from Lucy away. Trail Ridge Congress Motor Hotel, Tuesday, p.m., August 20th, 1963. Dear Elizabeth, You will doubtless be surprised at the stationery, but here we are again. On Sunday, we got to Gunnison and drove out to a place the brands had told us about, a place they stayed last year. No vacancy, and doubtless it's just as well for sagebrush was in bloom here, had it been only in bud elsewhere, and it is the one thing that gives Annette a bad case of hay fever. Also, the country was terribly dry. So we stayed in Gunnison Sunday night, got your letter at the post office in the morning, and started on eastward, drier and drier. Poor Annette. Here it is, just four days before her 80th birthday, and they've gone from rain every day to dried-out land in Gunnison. She's not able to do much moth collecting, and sagebrush is in bloom. And this isn't just a little bit of sagebrush. The Gunnison Basin includes 2.5 million acres of sagebrush country in southwestern Colorado. So much, it stretches across three counties. Despite the sisters' nearly non-stop encounters with daily rainfall, in the days between letters, they have finally hit a dry, a very dry, patch. Turned up towards Buena Vista, no green anywhere. We pulled off at the roadside and looked at our map. We had expected to leave the mountains at Colorado Springs. They go northeast on the dry plains to US 34. Well, we did not want our last days to be so dull and uninteresting, so we decided to go north in the mountains to 34 and come back here. 
Our route took us through Leadville, highest incorporated town in the U.S., over 10,000 feet. From there on, it was green, rain every day but two in the past 19 days. With only themselves to please, the sisters often shifted their itineraries when weather or sights fell short of their expectations. And it's clear that their changing plans weren't always because of science and research. In this trip, which they likely realized would be their last weeks-long adventure together, they wanted to be sure to end it among lush and beautiful landscapes. So that's exactly what they did, even though it entailed a bit of backtracking. After a night at Kremlin on US-40, we came on here, through Grand Lake and over Trail Ridge Road. The tundra flowers are about done, except for gentians and composites. Stopped a couple of places, and then the cold rain started, and we came on down here. Driving along America's Main Street, US 40, which stretches more than 2,000 miles from Wilmington, North Carolina to Barstow, California, the sisters had plenty of scenery to enjoy around Kremling, another old mining town. It's about 100 miles west of Denver and sits between Byers and Gore Canyons. This afternoon, we wandered in nearby flowery meadows, sagebrush still in bud here, and the hay fever departed the evening after we left the dry country. We'll wander about tomorrow among the flowers, no long trail hike and no sightseeing, and finishing up the eighth roll of film. Annette has found relief from her hay fever, and Lucy has had a great day taking photographs. As the sisters wind down their trip and prepare to head back east to the comforts of Brownwood, they're savoring a final day among the natural wonders they love best flowers, and the insects that make their homes inside them. On Thursday morning, we leave here and start east. Should reach Moline on Saturday, and we'll probably leave Tuesday morning, which should bring us home on Wednesday. Annette says just to get back to Brownwood will be a real birthday treat, and please do not prepare anything. We just want to relax, to talk to you, but not to more people, and not to have any party things. We have ice cream nearly every day and lots of things we are getting really tired of seeing. So forget about the birthday. Annette has been busy with some specimens this evening. Love, Lucy. This is perhaps my favorite letter from Lucy to Elizabeth. Don't get me wrong, I love when she waxes poetic about species she's identified and miles they've hiked, about twisty roads and motels and overpriced meals. But in this letter, Lucy offers a rare glimpse of life for the sisters at home, a place where they don't want to make a fuss, nor do they require any special preparations, even for an 80th birthday. Lucy's taking care of the letter writing, Annette's in her happy place, examining and likely arranging the moths she has collected in preparation for the long drive home. For Annette and Lucy, every day is a day for ice cream, and the best days are spent either immersed in the natural world of your life's work or recounting a lifetime of adventures in the company of your sister and a dear friend. 
Thank you for listening to Dear Elizabeth, a serial podcast brought to you by the Lloyd Library and Museum in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. This series is part of the Lloyd Research Fellowship and was conceived and produced by Lloyd Fellow Elissa Yancey. Sound design and mixing by Ohio native Ryan McClendon. Our special thanks to Dr. Teresa Cully, who voices Lucy Brown's letters, and Anita Buck, who voices Annette Brown's letters. For more information about the series and the collection that inspired it, please visit the Lloyd at lloydlibrary.org.